Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. All right. Hey, we're live. Just like that. You click a button, magically, terabytes of data are being accumulated as we speak. This is going to be a good one. I'm really excited. Today's guest is not only a marketing leader, um, and we're going to talk marketing strategy and some tactics that she uses, but she's also a yogi and a yoga instructor. She has a passion (laughs) for it. She's always practicing. Um, Can't wait to get dive deep into all this. She is the CMO of Agio with an Italian G. Uh, Kate Wood, how are you? Good, Casey. How are you? How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Excited to talk marketing, talk yoga, talk strategy, learn a little bit more about you. Um, this is fantastic. So I, I want to pass you this. It's heavy, but here we go. All right. Here we go. This is Thor's hammer. Uh, so here, I'll pass it over to you. There you go. Um, I need you to take that and smash for me some kind of marketing myth bogus strategy, you know, just something that drives you crazy and you want to set the record straight. Now, before I accept Thor's hammer, does Thor come with the hammer, Casey? Uh, 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 <laughs> what? What am I, chopped liver? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I will definitely take that, that hammer. And so I would say for me and my experience, the biggest myth is that you don't need big budgets and big teams to accomplish a lot, right? You so the just, myth is that you, do, you don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need big teams. You don't need big budgets. Um, You need something, right? You need something. Um, But to make big impact, it can still come from smaller teams um, and smaller budgets. Got it. So is that that preconception that people think or misconception that you need a huge team to be able to make a big marketing impact? Right, right. And this person has to do this over here and this person has to do this. And that's kind of all that where that silo comes in, right? And this person's responsible for social media. This one's for SEO. And as creatives, we're very fluid in just who we are psychologically, right? And so allowing that creativity to sort of blossom as you foster your creatives in the department and letting them grow over time and sort of, you know, digging into those places of marketing because marketing can mean so many things right yeah. uh, that, that, that are passionate to them and really fostering that and watching them grow yeah yet cueing in on the passion I think that's so important when you're in a, in a creative I mean what's cool about marketing is it's creative and it can be scientific with the measurement you get a little yeah. bit of both but you do that you don't want to forget the creative side and and do what you're passionate about there because that's how you get that subpar work you just you just kind of checking in but when you just let yourself loose you just can go and create amazing things yeah and that's and that kind of autonomy too is like one of the biggest things that i have found in my career as a marketer is gaining that autonomy in your career, um, working for an organization that, that does understand the value of marketing. Right. And I want to be careful when I say that, because usually when I, when I say those terms, you know, C-suites are like, Oh my God, she wants all the money in the world. And it's like, no, that's, that's not what understanding the value of marketing means. Well, we'll take the money too, but you're right. (laughs) Yeah. We'll take the resources and the money, but, um, so no, it's more just having that support from top down and within the, within the organization so that creatives are allowed to flex their creative 
integrative muscles, right? right? And then, but, you know, kind of going back to the agile method and checking in with that, making sure that that creativity aligns with where the business needs growth, right? Um, and making sure that if at any point throughout your year, your calendar year, um, if something starts to fall down, okay, let's shift, pivot, and let's, let's provide the fuel for this business to spark that fire. Right. I love this. I love to deconstruct this as if it was like something in a, in a restaurant. The idea that you don't need a big team. So you can do a lot with just individuals, individuals wearing multiple hats. What are your recommendations? Because I heard some things like making sure the company appreciates marketing, also agile. What are the different things that, you, that really help empower that like solo marketer out there listening to this maybe? Yeah. Or someone in a small team who wants to really shine. Yeah, right. Or someone who's just kind of getting started in marketing is like trying to understand what yeah. all, all of the segments of marketing, right? right. And there's so much language. I mean, and I think this happens in a lot of industries, so I don't want to just get down on marketing, but there are a lot of, a lot of words and languages and acronyms that we use that might scare people and kind of trying to break that down and making marketing a little bit more personable and, and you know, um, acceptable to, to folks. So I think, you know, for the solo marketer or for someone who's working a really small team, the biggest thing that I found from a personality perspective is initiative taking. Someone who is not afraid to take a project, explore, learn something new, run with it, and yeah. probably most importantly, make a mistake. Right. Right. Um, and I've been told in my career <laughs> more often than not, that it's okay to experiment. And if you're not failing a certain amount, it probably means that you're not experimenting enough. Right. Um, so kind of, you know, just to circle back, um, just having that initiative and looking for someone who's not, who's not afraid to run fast, hard, and also not afraid to say, okay, this didn't work, let's try something else. Right, right. And, and you had said this earlier, to be able to have that, to be able to test and fail, you had mentioned the autonomy. You need the freedom to be able to do, do that. Does that all come from picking the right company or can you make that happen in any company? So it's definitely easier if it's picking the right company, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. Um, sure, but, yeah. but then that doesn't help the person that's in an organization right now that might say, yeah, maybe marketing doesn't have the most respect, right? Right. And Quit so, your job. <laughs> right, right. Like that, that's not helpful. Um, and so I think it's good for someone in that position to be aware that there are organizations that do really value marketing. But if you're in a position where, yeah, marketing does have to justify their position a little bit more, that's okay. Take that as a learning experience. Look at sales, look at the growth of the business, look at how the business wants to grow and try to align marketing strategy and marketing execution to what the business needs. Because I uh. think, I think, you know, just listening to all of the marketing podcasts out there, I think the, the worst preconceived notion is that marketing is this you know, above the fray strategic arm who doesn't know how to get their hands dirty and who doesn't listen when something needs right. to be fixed or recalibrated. Um, so not being afraid to roll up your sleeves, be a little bit more tactical um, and treat the business like your client. I mean, really sales is our client, but treat the overall business like your client. Right. Wow. The execution aligned to the needs of the organization. Treat yes. them like a client. Don't just be that lofty pie in the sky, throw out some acronyms to confuse people to maybe protect yourself. PPC, SEO, you know, yeah, yeah. P no. PPM, <laughs> CPM, you know, like what? Yeah. Yeah. Align it. What do we need? We need more revenue. We need more deals coming in from this sector or whatever it might be. We need okay, more cool. Leads, whatever, yeah, yeah. Whatever yeah. it is. We need 
<laughs> we need more website, chart, like whatever it is, right. um, just making sure that you, you come to the table as a partner, because again, intimidation does not foster collaboration. And as marketing as a department becomes more customer focused, as we kind of go from the limited media era where we were very messaging focused to yeah. the infinite media era and marketing is going to become more and more involved in customer experiences and the owners of those experiences you're going to need friends in the business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're going to need to collaborate with those departments. And so again, showing up and being a helper instead of a herder. Oh, okay. Instead, instead of a herder or a herder, I think either way. Well, herder as in like hurt my feelings. <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Help out, lend, lend an arm. And, I, and you mentioned the justification too. And it makes so much sense. If you are aligning what you're doing to the organization and then you're reporting on that, that gives you that if you don't have the freedom, you don't have the autonomy that you start saying like, oh, oh, you're helping out. Cool. And then if you, if you happen to test a few things that really help out, oftentimes it's like, great, go do more of that. Well, I'm going to do a little experimentation over here. Okay, cool. We know you're doing this. You know, we're on the same page. We're trying to get the same goal. So it's, it's not you just spend wasting money now. It's like you're actively trying to see if there's a way we can get more of that business the, the company's looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when it comes to testing, because again, testing experimentation, we get nervous, right? Because we don't know the outcome. And when humans have uncertainty in their lives, they get nervous. Um, but test yeah. small, test small, take a small group and test. Um, again, that kind of goes back to the agile method um, and see what happens and then learn and grow and, and scale. How do you use the agile method? Do you use that in your marketing team? So it's kind of funny because I would say that we use the Agile, Agile method by default. Um, oh, wow. when, you, yeah. when you have limited resources, you don't have the luxury of sitting in a room for however many hours, weeks, and months to create a campaign, right? That mm -hmm. might run for X amount of time. We are more <laughs> like we're more agile organically because we have to be because we're so right. small. Um, and that has worked for me very well, um, just because it, it is that more tactical reactive and what we find with the tactical and the reactive and, you know, usually people hear the word reactive and they get, they get really nervous because it's like, Oh, you're behind the eight ball. And well, no, you're, you're reacting to the market, right? You're oh, listening right. to the market and you're responding to them in a way that your sales team needs that response, right? Right. Reactive um, can be good. You know, it's, it's not the bad version of that. It's no, we're actually, we're listening, we're paying attention. Right. It's add, tweak, delete, right. Or, or recalibration or whatever you want to call it. Um, making sure that you are in a position where if something isn't working, you can pivot and, and react to that. And so again, I would say that it's kind of been our default mechanism based yeah. on, based on our resources. Um, but it's worked really, really well. Do you re recommend like any team gets onto that? And if, is there any sort of like the high level, I mean, do you need to go get a, a black belt, you know, like a lean belt to, <laughs> to enact agile in your company? Or, I mean, what kind of just basic ways have you been using that that maybe anyone could start today? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, definitely, definitely not a black belt, right? Not, about yeah, right. definitely not about intimidation. Um, but I think it's really about 
building and fostering those relationships with the departments internally, understanding if a certain department needs a certain level of marketing support. Um, because again, sales is your, is your number one client, but you also have to be looking at the numbers of the business, right? And the different uh, departments within that, what service is doing better than another or what, what have you, making sure those relationships are there so you can have those conversations and then understand what they need, right? Um, for me, if I'm talking to one of our head engineers and he's saying, to me, this is what we're seeing in the marketplace. This is what's happening with our clients. Okay, can we though? Can we then go and create an experience, whether it's a piece of mm. content or a webinar, or maybe it's a small intimate lunch or dinner where we can bring our important clients, prospects to the table to say, "Hey, guys, this is what we're this is what we're seeing." Because at the end of the day, that's where our value is, right? We're right. we're a one to many. Um, our clients, just the way we operate, if they keep it in house then they don't have that one-to-many perspective, right? They don't have that, that forest perspective. They only have the tree. Right. Um, yep. And so kind of bringing that knowledge to the table for them is, is super important. And, and as marketers, you're the one creating that experience. Right. I love that. The idea of creating experiences, magical experiences, any kind of different, I mean, it's kind of neat. You get to craft that and, you know, make yeah, it more I mean, like more... what you experience on Amazon and less like, you know, the normal yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and the more and more you read about brand, it's really the sum of the customer experience, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, when you think about that, and you think, I always try to think about brand as a personality, right? As a human. Um, and so what you always, you encounter humans that you're like, Ooh, wow, that didn't, that didn't feel good. Or that <laughs> didn't, didn't feel right. good. Right. Yeah. Um, and so as a brand, you are a collection of human beings, mm. how to you then create a unified experience that feels good because we know, I think Seth Godin said human beings are 94% irrational, <laughs> but another way of saying irrational is emotional. And we make, everybody knows like, it, you've heard it a million times, human beings make decisions based off of emotion. So how, as a brand, do you create right. a positive emotional experience overall? Right. And then later on, backtrack and try to justify it with metrics and of all course. sorts of things. Of course, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's measure emotion. Please do. <laughs> it's like, why did you sign up for these guys? Uh, uh, they have all the right ROI calculators, honestly. No, it's like, it was cool. And I, I couldn't wait to use this myself. And yeah, yeah absolutely. I, that's so interesting, 94% irrational but right. i love that connection to emotional because we think of irrational being like a negative thing but then when you think of emotional you know cry at a movie okay you know it's not necessarily a bad yeah. thing to be emotional just and it it's just ahead. it's just how humans are hardwired and that's just it is what it is and so let's work with that let's let emotion be a powerful tool yeah. rather than a negative right could you imagine doing B2B sales on like the Vulcan planet where everyone's logical, like 94% logical and 6% emotional? I mean, I think that's the, <laughs> this is where the marriage between AI and human beings is going to be so incredible because letting, right. letting AI and letting the bots and all of that, all of that technology work to bubble up those people that are ready to talk to you and then having that human connection, that human mm. experience. Because just, I, I will say my gut reaction, but I think every, every podcast, every marketing thought leader that I listen to says the same thing and they actually back it up with data is the more real time our, our society becomes and the more digital it becomes, the more humans are going to be so important. Like mm. Casey, I just, 
started working with a realtor and I refused to go online. People were like, oh, just go online and, and you know, look at reviews. And I was like, no, I have friends. Why would I do that? Like, this right. is a very, I'm buying a home. This is a very personal experience. Like, I want to make sure that I'm working with someone who's been vetted by people I trust. Right. Um, so it's just one, you know, one anecdote, one experience about how important the humans will still remain mm -hmm. and how, how do you bridge that gap with AI and bots and not get so scared about the technology. Right. And I could see AI just self imploding when they're like, okay, we've done the calculations. Technically this leads to the most success, but it's like, why? And it's like, <laughs> I don't understand. Why are these humans making these 94% decisions? Like it doesn't make any sense. They just, they just blow up the mainframe, just disintegrates. But you mentioned, you know, the, the realtor experience. And that reminded me, I'm, I was shopping around recently for trying to pick a guide service because I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro next year. Oh man. And Can I have, you done, have you done it? I have not, but can you want to go? <laughs> yeah, yeah you want to go? Toast. Okay, I'll send you details. Yeah. So I'm like shopping around for the right guide service because they can make or break that experience, oh, you know? Yeah. And you don't want to go cheap because no, no. people are cutting corners, your safety's in line, and who knows what happens. But there's also the other extreme. There's like the really expensive ones for no reason. And other than maybe they're sending some Americans over and you got to pay for their flights. I don't know. So yeah. I wanted to go like local, but like not ones that are abusing the, the, the porters and stuff and really kind of shop around. And there's this one site, um, Worldwide Trekking, and they've got amazing um, marketing on YouTube. They have these little mini, I just talked about this earlier. They have these little mini videos on every single thing. But when it came down to it, I think the group I'm going with was someone where, and I put it out on Facebook, hey, who's done this? And, and inevitably, there's uh, some friends yes. that have. And a couple of them, one recommended the super expensive one. I was like, okay, I'm glad you've got money to just throw yeah, it around. Yeah, yeah. But this other person said, hey, these guys, I went with them. They're great. Recommend it. And I was like, okay, she lived and she recommends them. Let me go check them she out. She lived. <laughs> and I like what I saw on the website and the price was right in the middle of the pack as opposed to really expensive or and to your point, like, yeah, I could go on the website and look at all, all the TripAdvisor reviews were driving me bonkers because there's hundreds and thousands of it's them and much. all this data. It's yeah, it's, it's too much. way too much, yeah. And this is where humans will still remain very, very important because, again, we're emotional. Our friends are, have emotion connections to us. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's just it's going to be an interesting world. <laughs> right, right. But I... It's, it's so key that you bring that up. And I guess it makes you feel good as a human saying, well, even as this tech gets better, it's, you know, there's, there's all this AI in there. But at the same time, the more that one-to-one -one communication, like I even see chat coming back for B2B. You know, it's been in the B2C world for a while. Hey, can I get free shipping? Hey, I have an issue adding to this to my cart. Great, take care of it. But on the B2B world, adding chat, like a lot of times in marketing, we don't want to talk to people. We're like, no, fill out my form. Someone will deal with you later, but be able to talk to them like right now, things are like getting shifted, you know, changed around. Yeah. And it's, um, I think it was Matt Sweezy. Um, and I don't know if he said it on your podcast or your interview, oh, yeah, but yeah. I think it was on his podcast and he said less than 1% of marketers ever pick up a phone and call their client base <laughs> and, and right. ask them questions about anything, let alone the customer experience. And so sort of, I'll be honest, as I was preparing to talk to you, Casey, I've been taking in a lot of this different thought leadership to understand yeah. what I need to do next in 2020. And that's something that I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to call our clients to say like, how did we get here? Right. Yeah. And how do we need to change in 2020? Because I keep thinking about the role of marketing and 
you know, when performance isn't where you want it to be, even if it's beating industry standards, okay, what is the next level? What is the next phase? And just making right. sure that, you know, as a marketer, and if we go back to, okay, what does it take to have a small team and make really big impact? This is where that, that initiative, it's not just initiative in the organization. What inputs are you taking in outside of your day-to-day? -day? How are right. you learning and growing as a professional and adding value? Because those are your A players, right? And those are the people that you're going to want to stick around and that will stick around if you value them properly over the course of your relationship. Right. Oh, totally. Totally. And I think someone pointed out on a previous podcast that um, serious decisions had said something crazy about like, oh, you know, AI will, will take care of all your your buyer research for you and just do surveys and, and data crunching. You don't need to actually talk to your buyer. I was like, what kind of, what are they smoking down there at serious decisions? That summit must be a fun time. Like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Like, come on guys. Come on. Um, surveys are interesting. Like they're super valuable. Right. But again, I think can surveys be, yeah. can be, but like surveys again are the low level technology doing the work right. and they can't read in between the lines. They can't read inflection. They, and I'm, at some point we'll have technology. I'm sure that can do that. <laughs> but for right now, right, that's right. where the human comes in. And this is where I think this is the beauty and the psychology of marketing. Right. And this is why I love marketing so much because it is so much rooted in human psychology um, yeah. and being able to quote unquote, read the room. Right. Right. Um, and, and being able to pivot and all those good things. <laughs> it, for sure. And I think that was one of the things that I neglected my, the first part of my marketing career was the idea of talking to people. And, and I felt like unknown. And, and I think it was like second or third episode of this podcast. I was able to chat with Adele Ravello who wrote buyer personas. Oh, and, nice. and you get to hear on there where I literally like a noob have the wrong impression of what a buyer persona is live with Adele Ravella. So I get <laughs> to learn from her and she's like very nice because I was being, I was just, that's how I was trained. I thought a persona was just like, what HubSpot had said it was like a picture and a name and you know, they like dogs and cats and you know, okay. But then no one does them because they, you can't take action on that. But the one that she shared was like, no, like t what are the different inflection points in the buyer process? Like who do they trust for their research? Like we were talking about friends, you know, and, and, and how we went shopping. That would be key for people, for real, your realtor to know, for my tracker people to know, no, 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 these reviews are okay. They might prevent me from going with you if I see bad ones, but really I'm going to be asking other people, you know, right. and, and so it's all that kind of conversation. You're right. You can't get that second and third question off of a survey. Right. It's like the intention, disposition, and then action, right? So what's their mm. intention? And th that's Matt Sweezy again, too, because he's, he's my hero. Um, totally. <laughs> Got a little man crush on him. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's cool. He's so smart. Marketing crush. There we go. Oh, oh, my God. He's crazy smart. But yeah, so it's, it starts with intention. So at every juncture in the customer right. journey, what is their intention? And then what's their emotional disposition, right? How are they approaching this decision? Are they super excited? Are they scared? Is there a lot of fear? Whatever. And then what's the resulting? action. And so right. if you can, if you can map those out, you can then start to understand what services you can create demand for and what services are more about awareness and waiting for the need. Because for right. me and my business, that's kind of, we've got half of the house that is really easy to create demand for because the services are sexy. There's a lot of fear behind, mm. you know, what could happen if I don't buy this service. And so creating demand in that arena is super easy, right? And very powerful. But then you have other services. And this is for a lot of B2B marketers out there that maybe aren't so sexy. And it's really difficult yeah. for people to care or read content or whatever. And so then it becomes 
a brand awareness standpoint and making sure that you're, you're still providing value, right? You're still providing valuable content, touch points, what, whatever it is, but you also know that they're going to come to you when they have a need. And so just making yeah. sure that you keep reminding them of your presence. I think it was story brand. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That, I, I love that book. And the two things that I took out of that book, the first one was even if someone doesn't open your email, they see your name in their inbox and that is still something it's still permeating their brain on a certain level. And so, you know, t- I, I, I love that for marketers because sometimes we get super disappointed if our open rates aren't where they need to right. be. Yeah. Right. But it's like, no, you're still doing something. Something is still happening from that action. Cool. Um, and then the second part, just cause I love that book and I, I beat myself over the head and my team with this is if a caveman comes to your website and cannot regurgitate what you do, you're doing it wrong. Um, and that's really a very important, important part for marketers because we love fancy words. We love run on sentences. We love to make things sound very sophisticated. Um, but in an increasingly infinite media world that we're in, you need to keep it simple. You need to keep it short and you need to keep it somewhat small. Right. Um, yeah, it's like the temptation, you know, um, to, to fit, two sentences into like two words. I think we try to create, oh, we're in the, you know, we're in the buyer intelligence space or we're in the revenue optimization world. You're like, what, what does that mean? You know? Um, uh, and, and I get you, we bring up the, the caveman. It reminds me. And I, I think I mentioned this a while ago, what, like my grandmother, um, Bushi, uh, in the car, my brother and myself, we're adults now. And she asked my brother Kip, Hey, um, what do you do for work? And he's like, I'm a policeman. And she's like, Ooh, very cool. And then she asked me, what do I do? And I'm like, Oh geez, what do I tell her? Um, ah. like marketing. I mean, she's from the days of working at the Pentagon and working at JC Penney's. And so I'm like, I do like computer advertisements, <laughs> <Stop>. you know, <laughs> market eh, marketing computer. And, and she's like, Ooh, that's very cool too. And then sure enough, you know, God bless her. Half an hour later, she asked us the same question again. She's like, Casey, what do you do? Round two, round you know? two. And, and she's like, oh, Kip's a police officer. And I was like, oh, <laughs> she knew. She knew. But yeah, like simplify your website without the jargon. And I, you know, I think it is probably, what do you think? Is it okay then to have a sentence instead of having two words? Because oh, yeah. you don't know what two words actually means. Oh, no, I mean, I think... I think a lot of brands, again, it comes like human experience, all that good stuff. But then when you're defining a brand upfront, what is your contribution to society? That sounds really pie in the sky, but it's actually really important. And if you listen to any of the important brands out there and why they succeed, it's because they have a higher vision for what they want to achieve. And it's a higher good it's a higher social good than just bringing revenue in the door, right? Just pushing the product that they have in their portfolio. And so for us, the biggest guiding light for me is when I come back to this language of helping our clients solve their problems, right? And that can apply to any industry anywhere. You are, as a marketer, you are solving a problem. And if the piece of content that you are creating, if the email you are sending, if your website isn't helping the customer understand how you're helping to solve their problem, then it's not probably going to (laughs) work. For sure. I I don't know if I've heard that simplicity 
uh, in a long time. But the, uh, the reminder that when we're doing it right, we're actually helping the person that's receiving our email abuse. We're helping them solve <laughs> a problem that they have. Yeah. 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 Like we're actually trying to help them. It's not, we get lost in the clicks and impressions and opens, like you were saying, and the different stats. But in the end of the day, all this content, even buying our thing is supposed to help them with some sort of issue they're facing or will be facing soon. Right. Right. How do you, again, like, because I'm a psychology geek and nerd, how do you yeah. keep coming back to that, that betterment, right? The, the contribution and we like to say value a lot in marketing. And, and I love that term too, but sometimes words get connotations. And I think that term value has been, you know, twisted a little bit. So how do we get back to base emotions and base terms, like just helping people? Yeah. Yeah. That, I like that better actually, because I've used value and I've, I've tried to like on a webinar, define it for people. So they're not confused about what value is. It's like, it's not about you, but you're right. You can, you can get lost in, Oh, this is valuable. It's, no, it's not really, but does this help them? Is it does the contribution factor of it? Right. And that's if you, the real test. That's totally the real test. And if you want to bring it all the way back around to where we started and how do you build a small team that's super impactful, uh -huh. you, you, I mean, you build it one professional at a time and the, and the best you know, sort of career advice that I could give is be the person that has a reputation. If I give it to Susie Q, she's going to get it done. Mm. She's going to get it done. And that's the reputation as a professional you want to build. And if you can collect a small group of people in a marketing department that have that reputation, the impact that they're going to be able to have with maybe not a massive budget or a massive team is going to be pretty incredible. Um, right. And so again, being that person that figures how to execute and get it done um, while still, you know, being kind <laughs> right. and, and, and doing it with a smile on their face, but not because they have to, because this is creative expression and that they, and they love doing this work. Right. Right. Huh. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, it's a fun way to look at it. I think it, it brings the humanity back into it. Yeah. I, it's super easy in business to get lost because it's a collection of humans. Right. Uh, yeah. um, if so, every time there's a serious problem to solve, how do you boil that problem down to one human and how does it impact that one human and what does that look like? And then can you take that problem solving with the one human and scale it? Right. Um, so that's helpful for, for the business. Right. Helping many people at one time, but yeah. start with that one person. I've heard, heard it said too, you know, when you first create something, don't necessarily make it like to, it has to scale right away try to just help one person see if it works and if you can now try to scale that thing up but you don't want to just go right to the automation side and scale something that maybe isn't helpful right 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 and then and <laughs> this is another piece that i have to tell myself still to this day a lot is yeah. as as creatives and as create tours of mm. things it's very hard sometimes we get our feelings hurt sometimes when it doesn't work we're like Oh, like how, how did it not work? Um, but trying to check the personal at the door and understanding that this just gives you an opportunity to experiment more and to try something different and to flex your creative muscles in a different arena, right? So every looking at every um, experience creatively that doesn't work as an opportunity to just keep doing more stuff that you love to do. 
um, and, and kind of taking it that way. And, and again, not taking it personally if something doesn't work. Cause it's hard when you create something from scratch, you, you really want it to work. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't th- know if I've ever had someone highlight that before, but you're right. When you are creating, when you're doing art, it could be painting, whatever you're doing. If people, it's your baby, <laughs> it's your baby and people don't like it. Then... Or it doesn't work and it doesn't have the impact that you thought it did. Right. You, like, okay, let's stay in that experimental mindset, right? Let's say, right. I think Carol Dweck is famous for her growth mindset, like stay in that growth mindset um, rather than this idea of failure, right? Because everything in marketing is an experiment. Right, right. And uh, I think you said check your, check your personal at the door. Yeah. Um, you're, you're doing art experiments, you know, always continuing to think that they're experiments so that you're not, you do this whole email campaign and like nobody clicks on it. It's like, it's not about you. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. I think your earlier contribution conversation, I think ties in here. If you can remember you're doing art for someone, it's not necessarily art to make you feel better or get people to visit your museum. It's like you're doing art for someone else. Then when it doesn't work, you just sort of rearrange it, change it around. Yeah. And the other thing that I think about, we, so we go through life, right? You, everybody asks you at a certain point, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, right. and when you're a kid, that's super easy because as a child, you have singular mindset, which just makes you feel so confident about what you want. But when you get to be an adult, there's so many options. And you're like, I have no idea what I want to be. The only way you figure out how, what you want to be, generally speaking, is by doing things that you don't like. <laughs> so right. you take a few roles and no, I didn't really like this part. This didn't really work for me over here. Like you figure out where you want to go by process of elimination. And so if you can think about marketing experiments in that same way, Mm -hmm. we figure out where to go by sometimes not getting it right. And that's okay. And that is okay. Yeah. And yeah. you got to gotta try that. got to <laughs> visit, visit those places to figure out if that's not, not for you or not the kind of art you want to do. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good conversation. Who are you? How did you become the sage of of all things wisdom and marketing Ugh. and psychology and this well-read scholar? All these oh. books you've been throwing out there that I've been writing down, I'm going to have to go read. If, we so, try. We try. Take us back. Like li- little Kate days. Did you always want to be a marketer? What's the deal? Yeah, I don't think I knew what a marketer was when I was a little kid. <laughs> right. um, I was told that I would be a very good lawyer because I was a very good arguer growing up. Really? Um, yes, yes. I was told that that was the direction I was going to go. Um, but my dad was a teacher. My mom was a social worker um, or is. She's not retired yet. And so I didn't really have exposure to the business world. So when I got to college, it I was a psych and poli-sci major. And I really thought that I was going to become a clinical PhD um, in psychology. And I had an amazing college professor who said to me, do you want to play with psychology or do you want to study it? Mm. I was like, I think I want to play with it. And she was like, go into corporate. She's like, seven years for your PhD is a long time (laughs) to to sign up for without really knowing. And you haven't had exposure to corporate growing up. So go, go do it for two years. If you hate it, come back. We'll find you. We'll find you. Um, We'll find you a position, um, you know, and that was however many years ago. And I'm, wow. still, I'm still in corporate. Um, but like anybody, okay, what do you do with psych and poli-sci majors? So I was like, okay, let me just land myself. <laughs> right. Let me just land myself a position in communications of some sort. Uh, right. So I landed in publishing okay. and I started publishing books for finance and investing. And a lot of people will be like, wow, it kind of sounds like a snooze fest. But what was very interesting for me is when you publish books in that world, you meet 
a lot of very smart, very high powered business people who mm. know a lot about the financial markets. And that was really my first exposure to that world. Okay. So I'm in publishing, I'm learning about Wall Street, and I'm starting to realize that I don't really love the publishing industry and I don't sure. really love the editorial side, right? This goes back to that kind of process of elimination. Um, what didn't you like about it? What, what didn't fit for you? So for publishing, at least at that time, for me, it was more about movement. The industry moved a little bit slower than oh, yeah, sort of yeah. my, my intrinsic clock moved. Right. Um, and from an editorial perspective, there just there wasn't enough creativity in that role at that time for me. Right. There, I right. had so much more to give. Um, so what I kind of did was I looked and I said, you know, I really don't like the editorial side, but I love the marketing side. I mm. love what marketing gets to do for these books. And I was living in New York at the time, you know, young, early twenties. And I'm like, well, I also need money. <laughs> so I'm like, and I know I, you know, I work on all these wall street books. What if I do marketing for financial services? Right. Yeah. That's kind of how I married that in my mind. Um, and my next role was in the corporate marketing department at Morgan Stanley. And that's, wow. that's really where I learned all my marketing chops, right? right? That's that's where I learned how to write copy. It's where I learned what agencies do for you, how to work with those agencies successfully, um, how to work with the design team, mm -hmm. SEO, you know, web design. That's where I learned all the sort of marketing chops. Um, so it was a big team though. It was like a big it was, team and it was exposed a big, you? It was a big team. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as big as maybe you would think because right. Morgan Stanley's brand is, is very established. Right. Um, but that was also kind of, I think, the CMO at the time, um, she was actually an alumni of, of my alma mater as well. And I looked at her and I, I kind of said, I want to be like her one day, right? Yeah. Like I think, I think I want to be CMO one day and right. this, is, this is the track. Um, and eventually uh, my current company sort of recruited me away. And what was interesting about that was they are a tech and cyber firm, or I should say we are a tech and cyber firm, mm -hmm. but we market predominantly to the same clientele base, right? Got so. It. Alternative investments, which is a fancy way of saying private equity, hedge funds, venture capital, asset managers, right? Sure. And what a lot of financial services marketers will tell you is it's really tough to market to that space and you really have to experience. So I think my current company maybe took a, a risk and said, we're going to we're gonna bet that she can learn how to market cyber and tech and we're going to have faith because she really knows how to market to this audience. Right. You knew so, the audience. That's so smart of them to, to realize, okay, it doesn't matter what you were selling. It's not the product. It's the fact that you had spent so much time interfacing with that audience. Right, right. And that buyer persona, quote unquote, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah, And understanding how, how they think, how they work, how they like to be spoken to, what yeah. is valuable to them, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, and it's been a long run. I've been with my current company for a little over six and a half years. That's awesome. I mean, these days people are always moving, you know, or a lot of people are moving. What's kept yeah, you there? Like what, what, you know, I mean, is longevity probably is tied into like the team being so good. Yeah. So I would definitely say that it starts with the top for me, okay. the belief and support from our CEO that there is value in marketing and branding. Um, and when someone believes in what you do, it makes your job a lot easier. Um, and so his belief in the power of what marketing and branding can do for a company and then the autonomy that comes with that uh, for creative expression, right? So that's really, I think, what's kept me here. And, and 
elevating that because in a lot of organizations, sometimes marketing, you know, they're in the back closet um, yeah. and they don't really do much or, or whatever it might be, um, but elevating the work that we do and making sure that people understand it um, and giving me a platform to also dumb it down sometimes so people can, can grasp what we're doing, right? Marketing isn't just pretty pictures. Right. Um, there's, there is a science behind brand and all like all those good things. So I would say that's definitely sort of, that's, kind of been what has kept me around and, and yeah. the ability to grow and evolve and take that initiative. Um, and what's really cool, Casey, is my other teammates have been with the firm for five and a half years. Wow. So like we have, we have a very strong, um, I guess you could say employee retention. <laughs> right. And you've been able to gel together. And so instead of spending a lot of cycles on getting to know you and figuring out how you work, you can just get things done. Right. And I mean, and that may change, right? Like everybody sure. moves on at some point. Um, and we love to see that growth as well. But I, I will be the first person to admit that a lot of my teammates sometimes will check me and say, okay, Kate, you're running too fast. Like who's, let's take a step back. What's the purpose of this piece? Who's the audience, whatever. And mm -hmm. recognizing the different strengths that my different colleagues have and allowing them to check me when I need to be checked or remind me of totally. things and not being sort of that authoritarian dictator, right? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Then so. you walk off a cliff. Right. <laughs> they're like, well, we would tell you, but you would yell at us. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Enjoy the fall. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's good, right? To get that feedback from people and to be in a team that can respect each other, but at the same time, you also respect their feedback. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, I am, maybe I am going a little fast here. Let me take a step back, make sure I'm focused on what needs to happen here. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can tell you that I personally am, I'm quote unquote a runner. I like to run really fast and hard. And my CEO jokes with me, he's like, you're probably one of the only people in the company that I need to tell to slow down. Uh, yeah. But what happens when you run that fast is yeah, sometimes you run in a direction that you didn't even actually choose yourself deliberately. And yeah. so my other colleague, my creative director is amazing at, at strategic thought and she will halt me in my foot tracks. And then my other colleague who's our senior designer, she's amazing at picking up everything that is said between human beings in a meeting. And she's like, guys, what about this over here? What about this over here? We forgot, we forgot about wow. this. Um, and so again, everybody has um, sort of their natural inclination or natural disposition in life and learning how to work with that, especially because if you are a small team, you need all of those assets. Mm -hmm. You need all those personality assets to come out and work for you and not against you. It sounds like you build a really cool team. Um, around they're, you they are awesome <laughs> I, it's like I, as you're describing that i was like wow i mean a lot of people don't necessarily have that and are probably a little jelly right now about it <laughs> and uh but i could even see being a fly on the wall be like hey kate let me sneak into your uh your conference room and just listen to your team just kind of like interacting and and uh you know, everyone's appreciated and they're putting in their their passion into the right situation that's really cool yeah, there was a book that I read a while, a long time ago, and it, um, a mentor gave it to me, and it was How the World Sees You, and I can't remember the author, huh. but what she says in the book was so interesting, and she's like, generally, people hire mini-me's, right? Because we like people like us, right? And we look around at our friends' groups, and usually our friends are a lot like us, and that totally makes sense. But when it comes to relationships with employees and hiring employees, you don't want a mini me. You want right. someone who is different than you. You, someone who's still likable and who you still want to have a drink with after work. Right. Um, but someone who brings different value and different characteristics and different dispositions to the table. And so for me, keeping that in mind, um, yeah 
you know, as our team evolves and grows and, and all those good things, like differences are, are really, really powerful and very, very good. <laughs> For sure they are. I mean, like the, uh, the COO, the GM here at Cheshire Impact, totally different than I am, but <laughs> in, in an amazing way, even our conversations, when we both interview a new candidate, it's different, but that's good. Like you want it that way. You, you, like everything that I'm not is exactly what he needs to be. And it's fantastic. Right. So it's like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah. then you can tell, and you, you then also have to pause and say, okay, well, you know, he's not necessarily going to react how I would predict, but that doesn't mean you know, he does or doesn't like this. We just need to understand we probably have different ways of acting and reacting. I might be like, hooray, you know? And so it, it just understanding that, but then also respecting the fact that people bring things to the table. Yeah. And certainly letting them shine, letting that come through. Do you, do you see yourself using any of that poli sci or that psych in your marketing? I know you mentioned it one other time oh. before. I don't know if that kind of trickles in. Like, it seems like it's it, probably a passion. Yeah, it totally trickles in because for me, the, the funnest part of my job is getting to create messaging, positioning, and content that I think someone or getting them to click on something, right? How can I enter their life? Because that's what an email is or a phone call or a white paper, whatever it is. How can I enter their life in a way that gets them to engage with the value that we've created, right? The right. education that we've created. Um, and we have a saying internally, and I love it, is it's like, look smart, be smart, right? So how do you make your clients, and again, this applies to all industries, how do you make your clients look smart internally to their superiors, right? Yeah. And how can, you, how can you create content and experiences as a marketing department to make your clients look smarter, right? Whether right. it's it's truly in the boardroom or maybe it's at, you know, happy hour with colleagues um, or maybe it's even at a dinner party, right? Sure. Um, so how do, you, how do you do that? And that's all about human psychology, the motivation behind right. your clientele. And again, kind of going back to the buyer personas um, at, at a very like uh, holistic view, um, what is what is going to motivate them? Where are their emotions at, at a certain point, engaging with your content, all of that good stuff. Um, so I think, I mean, I would tell anyone who went into psychology in college, cause I hear that I used to hear that all the time. Like, what are you going to do with psychology? Right. And it's like, uh, yeah. Oh my God, like it is a perfect fit for marketing. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyone, anyone listening that, you know, maybe isn't in the workforce yet, absolutely 100% consider marketing because you get to use that psychology all the time. All you the really time. do. Yeah, you really do. And, you, and there's so many options. There's so many different disciplines of it. Yeah. It, it's such a wide variety. I don't know if there's any department that has more variety potential to it, you know, just multiple disciplines. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, if you're at a big enough organization, you can have a marketing role that's just focused on SEO. You can have a marketing right. role that's just focused on social media, um, or you can just be a content marketer, right? You can be, just be an events marketer. Um, yeah. And that's and that's the cool thing about working at a larger organization. Um, so maybe when you're younger, you're working in an organization where you get to wear a lot of hats. So you get those fun foundational skills. And then as you grow process of elimination, as mm -hmm. we said, you figure out what part of marketing you really love to do. And then you move in that direction. Um, and you move in that direction at a company that's going to support you um, in that depth, right? In that technical right. depth within your marketing, your marketing segment. Right. Huh. 
<laughs> so there's a question I want to ask you. I know you touched a little bit on this answer already, so feel free to make that your answer. But it's kind of like you're in a time machine and you go back to the beginning of your marketing career. You just taken that leap from that professor who said, go try out the business world for a little bit and let me know what you think. If you, if you were to arrive and be able to give yourself advice um, back at the beginning of your whole career, what, what would you tell yourself? It would definitely be to experiment more. Don't be afraid to experiment more. I think a lot of marketers come from a perfectionist disposition. Yeah. We like things just so. Um, we like to be in control of a lot of things. And so this idea of perfection and needing something to be perfect is really something that I, as a marketer, have had to let go of, right? Progress over perfection. Ooh, yeah. um, and making sure that, you, again, you manage your mind around the experiments that you try, right? And again, if you're not failing in your experiments enough, you're probably not experimenting enough. Um, and so just reminding myself, my young self that like, hey, it's okay to try things. Like we all, you know, the human brain is wired not to want to change. And so when we find something that works, of course, we want to keep doing it. Um, but this is about, again, evolution and growth. So how do you, you know, just little Kate, keep experimenting, keep experimenting. And don't, and don't worry about the outcome because you're going to learn so much in the process right. that you're going to be able to reapply and make it better um, when you try again. Yeah, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit understanding just how much you you learn or can learn if you're aware uh, from when things don't go right, you know, yeah. from those experiments that didn't work. You tend to learn more from that than if it does work. You're like, why exactly is that working? Right. I mean, I think it was the gentleman that wrote Peak Performance, which is a New York Times bestseller. Um, they said, you, if you want to run a marathon or you want to win a gold medal, you don't just wake up and win a gold medal the process of practicing every day and those athletes who did end up winning a gold medal cared more about the process of training every day and let go of the result. So when you can let go of the result and you can just put your heart and soul, all of your energy, all of your fuel as a human and as a professional into the process that you're trying to achieve, mm -hmm. I promise you it will work out. Even if the results are not what you wanted, you have learned so much in that process that you will take those lessons and reapply them and it will continue to work for you and you will continue to grow and evolve. Right, for sure. And try new things. Um, you know, and on that note, when did you first get into yoga? Because I know it's a big area of your life and you even like light up when I bring up the topic. So when did that happen? So it's so funny because I have always been a pretty hardcore athlete, right? Like I've oh, said, cool. I move really fast in my professional life and I do the same thing in my, in my real life. Um, you literally have a bike life. hanging up behind you. Yes. I, I've been I staring have at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I have, I have played lots of sports. And so when yoga first like became a thing, I was like, I went to a few classes and I went to vinyasa classes like, oh my God, I can't. No, like this isn't even a workout. And then I found Bikram which is, you know, a, there's some controversial with Bikram, um, but it is a much more physical practice. And it's done in a super, super hot room, like 104 degrees, you know, 40 to 60% humidity. And that kind of got me in love with yoga. And then once I have evolved as a human, <laughs> and I've found the ability and, and also the strength to slow down, if that makes any sense. Sure. Um, now, you know, Hatha yoga, uh, vinyasa, slower forms of yoga hold a very, very special and very, very important place um, in my life. But it, 
you know, I made it hard on myself before I made it easy. <laughs> right, right. You, well, you're probably looking for those endorphins too. Like totally. I need something yep. that's going to kick my butt. Like yeah. if I'm not on the floor, like drinking water, with my feet elevated, I didn't really work that hard. So right. if, if I'm putting these workout clothes in, I better sweat people. I better yeah. sweat. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not doing laundry for no reason here. Let's go. Right. Um, so, but tell me about, so is that the hot yoga I've been hearing about? Um, yes. So high yoga has different forms, right? You can have the traditional big room, which is like a set series of 26 positions that you perform over and over again. It can be an hour or an hour and 30 minutes. Um, but then you also now have hot vinyasa classes, which are very heated and you're just doing hot vinyasa, which is, which is awesome. And what I, what are the different styles? Like what, what, are, what can people expect? Let's say they've never gone to any class. Oh yeah. Okay. So if you want the most physically demanding, I would definitely say big room, right? Okay. Um, if you want more of a flow and you want to feel your breath integrated with your postures, I would do more of a Hatha or a Vinyasa style yoga. Okay. If you are looking for complete relaxation and you have had the most stressful week of your life and you just need to be and to be taken care of, I would tell you to go take a yin class. Um, yin? Yin. And those classes are generally spent mostly on the floor and you hold postures for three to five minutes, and it's super slow, it's super lovely. It, the meditative state that you can get into in a yin class is pretty incredible. Um, and so that's, you know, those are the styles of that's yoga. That's cool. That, you know, I've, um, I've, now you've mentioned, I was trying to think of like, what was that one that I, I've done a couple, but I do remember doing a yin class and actually it was really cool and i like the fact you were holding positions because i am not as flexible as uh as my appearance may tell you so it's like <laughs> i'm like you know i'm like okay i need to stretch this thing out and you know it's like it forces me to get into stretch and, and kind of hold it for a while and i and i did i did dig that it was kind of cool to you're right it slows the pace down and yeah. and, and in this world where real time is real time is real time. Uh, slowing down, I found just, you know, as I grow and evolve as an adult, um, learning how to slow down and, and rest and stress, right? Um, right? And making sure that you can, you can regenerate that time. Um, so definitely going to be in class. But what I will tell most gentlemen, because they always tell me, Oh, Kate, I'm not flexible. I can't touch my toes. And I'm like, yeah, honestly, as long as they can stand heat, go to a hot class, go to any hot class, because gentlemen generally tend to be tighter in their muscles and in their joints, and the heat really helps to open those guys up. Um, so, but some people do struggle with heat, so you got you got to kind of warn them a little bit. <laughs> it kind of feels like you're getting something done too when you're when you're super hot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The the heat definitely wipes you out, and so if you are an energy person that that struggles to slow down, that's definitely a good avenue because that's definitely the avenue that that got me to where I am today. <laughs> and that seems like something I'd want to do after work, or would you do that in the morning? So it totally depends. I am not a morning workout person. I can sure. be a morning person. I am not a morning <laughs> workout person. Um, it's I like am you some, get one or the other body. You can't have both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I need to use my brain all day and then I need to use my physical body to create that break and that separation from right. work to personal. Right. Yep. Um, and so it totally, it just totally depends on like, who you are. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. And then I'm, where your energy peaks are and, and what you're eating and that kind of thing. Totally. Totally. How long have you been doing it though? You said 
after sports that sort oh, of happened? Has it been a couple of years now? Yeah. Or? So 2004, I think I started doing yoga in 2012 and then I became an instructor in 2000 and I think 15. Um, I started doing it in New York and I started doing Bikram and then I moved to Colorado and I moved to Colorado Springs, which for me was, was a sleepier town, right? You move from mm-hmm. Manhattan to Colorado Springs. <laughs> and I found myself with a lot of time, Casey, right. a lot of time. And I was doing yoga literally like every day. And finally the studio was like, dude, you, you're here every day. Like, why don't you just teach teacher training? You don't have to become a teacher. Like just Wow. Just take it to deepen your practice. Um, and of course I took it and I loved it and I started yeah. teaching and I actually just went through um, another teacher training and we just graduated this past weekend. Hey, um, well, well, what kind of class was it? So it's called Earthways Yoga um, and it was started and created by a woman that lives in Boulder out here. Um, and it is a combination between yoga and Eastern healing methods. So when I say Eastern healing methods, I mean Chinese meridian lines, the five elements, and um, the Indian chakra system, as well as Native American principles and sort of healing methodology. So it's a crazy world that I never thought I would be in coming from like this hardcore, like Manhattan life. New Yorker, and, yeah, like, fast paced. Oh you know, Um, hot yoga, New Yorker. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and here I am finding myself kind of softening into this world. Um, and another book Casey that I want you to write down is Eastern body, Western mind. Um, and that is an amazing book that ties Western psychology to what happens, um, sort of in our, in our bodies as we process the experiences that that happen and do they get stored in the body and then how does that manifest throughout life sure. um so this is like it's a it's a little scary right but i have generally found in my life if i'm not scared of something it's probably not worth doing um, sure so yeah here i am <laughs> i'm with you a little bit of skydiving i'm always nervous before i go again <laughs> do you do you skydive a lot not lately, because you have to like the weather and your schedule and everything else oh, and stay yeah. current. But we have day jobs. We have day jobs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of tricky. If I said yes, that means I'm probably cutting out for like a long lunch. But, but I'm kind of shifting the attention toward the mountain climbing. And, but to your point, yeah. like some kind of challenge, some kind of adversity to, right. to overcome. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's kind of how we're wired. Like we love superhero movies for that reason. Cause there's always, there's the hero and then there's the challenge and what they have to get through. And, um, I think for me, and it sounds like for you too, physical activity is, is the same, is a similar story, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, just challenge, cool. new variety. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more, maybe get some more book ideas? Oh yeah. Me and the books. Um, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, you can definitely find me on Facebook as well. And then on Instagram would S Kate, um, okay. for Instagram. Cause that's not super intuitive. Um, but yeah, those are the primary ways. Do you have like a lot of yoga going on? I do. I do. But <laughs> I do. I'll tell you, I'm also a huge biker and also a huge um, hiker and all that good stuff, backcountry camping. That's sick. So you may that. actually join us on Kilimanjaro. That's what I'm saying. When you said that, I was like, oh man, like maybe I need to get on board. <laughs> July 2020. Yeah. I'll, I'll shoot you some details. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, this is awesome. Thank you so much for being on here because I think this has been fun. It, it's also great to just combine like the personal side and the, what you're passionate about in the marketing side to just have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
thank you for letting me sort of meander through this lovely conversation. That's my favorite way to go <laughs> is meander. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it if, not all those that wander are lost? <laughs> is that the that's quote? a good one. <laughs> that, that describes the agenda of this podcast perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. We're just going to let them go. We're just going to let them go. Exactly. Just let them go. Keep rolling, guys. Keep rolling tape. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll edit it later. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No, could you imagine if we edit it so it sounded cohesive and clear? It'd be, oh. so, it wouldn't be fun to listen to at all. That would be you know? our perfection marketing yes. coming out. Yeah. Make it perfect. <laughs> be so choppy. They'd have to chop every sentence. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. The movies do it way better. <laughs> they do. They do. We'll leave it to the movies. Um, yeah. but, but thank you again for being on here. This has been the blast. We'll have to have you back on here and, and check in, see how yoga is going. See if you do any more bike adventures. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Casey. It's been awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And for everyone else out there listening, if you learned something, and I know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, <laughs> then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader, even to one other person, two other people. Share this and pass along some of these books, Eastern Body, Western Mind. There's so many books here. Carol Dweck, so much stuff that we talked about today. So share this with someone else. Be a thought leader. And for everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch you all next time.